one major quality of democracy is that you listen to those even if you don't share their opinion. Well, thank you, Mr. Schultz. Isn't it funny? You know, when I came here 17 years ago and I said that I wanted to lead a campaign to get Britain to leave the European Union, you all laughed at me. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? And they said Calderon, the head man, top person. He said he won't pay. He won't pay for it. And you know what I said? I said, the wall just got... The wall just got... The wall just got 10 feet higher. Build that wall. 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 And those Democrats will do whatever it takes to keep us Americans focusing on the colors that divide us and not the colors that unite us. Are you ready to elect the next president of these United States of America? Greetings, grandstanders. Welcome to an indispensable and inflammatory edition of Grandstand Podcast. We've reached the crescendo of the of season two uh, narrative. It, I remember we started with uh, "Is it a sport?" and then it kind of evolved into non-mainstream sports. But today we're going to bring it back uh, full circle to. What uh, what we what the original question was, you know, is it a sport? And today, uh, we're going to be talking, of course, about that great and wonderful sport of politics. Um, you know, the the ultimate uh, spectating spectacle, you could say. But before I do that, and before we get into that, and I introduce our guest, I'm going to introduce my partner in crime, the professor. How are you, professor? Good, good. How are you guys? Uh, I'm fabulous. I I, uh, I don't know if it's important to note that we're today uh, the Grandstand Studios have uh, moved to the Heartland um, in a, in a farm somewhere in Oklahoma. Oh wow! I know this is the first time uh, I've been away from uh, the Grandstand Studios, so this is kind of fun. Um, anything to report from uh, New York City? Um, just being out earlier today seems like a pretty mellow day, and uh, it seems uh a lot of the the news is is being focused elsewhere in the country these days. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, as as our guest uh, once said uh, to me, uh, let me before I introduce my guest. Uh, our guest uh, said, "It seems like we are living in the time when uh, everybody's everybody's running around going ah with their arms up in the air, like not knowing what to do. Just you know, when kids eat like a lot of candy, they just act crazy. They're just kind of going like ah." What should we do? What should we do? Um, but I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Uh, if not, we'll send all those people to Mars. Um, so today's guest is what you would call a uh, a true cosmopolitan, a, a citizen of the world, if you will. You know, his uh, list of credentials can 
probably fill up an entire episode, so I'm, I'm going to keep it to the ones I'm most fascinated by. Um, our guest practices something called space law, something I didn't even know existed. And maybe he could just give us a little brief uh, thing on what that is. Um, uh, really fascinating. When I first uh, met uh, our guest, he, um, he said he was going to get into space law. This is before he even started law school. And I think I laughed in his face because I thought he was joking. But no, he was serious. This is a real thing. Uh, number two, he's, he's worked for the UN and other uh, organizations that do stuff uh, that affects us all. Uh, while the rest of us kind of go on with our lives, not realizing that there's uh, people behind the curtains doing doing this work. And he's a Manchester United fan, but he's not from Manchester, uh, from Manchester. So I'm really curious about that. And he's actively probably still a rock climber. Are you still rock climbing? Uh, don't, don't answer yet. Uh, he was the first person to expose me to this sport. Um, and, and, and when he exposed me, I, I had the same reaction as to when he, ex he t told me about space law. I just kind of laughed. I'm like, this is really a thing. So anyways, before I go any further, let me introduce my good friend, uh, man, I've, I've, I've traveled and spent many, many times, uh, discussing the, 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 the very subject we're going to be discussing today. The man that I referred to as Dan, AKA one time Tex. How are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I, I really appreciate it. Um, terribly kind. Terribly generous. Um, really, like, I'm impressed with the show, man, so I'm uh, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have you. Uh, really excited to have uh, this show as the bookend to what I think was an excellent season of uh, grandstanding and talking about uh, um, those... Uh, non-mainstream uh is it a sport sports so uh let's get into it professor unless you have something to ask uh, uh mr mr one time here i have so many questions asked but um so <laughs> let, let's let's just rock so 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 let's talk about the spectated spectacle of politics um you know i want to start with with the i guess the, the 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 differences if you will uh, what are the inherent differences between grandstanding on the political grandstand versus uh, grandstanding uh, on the sports grandstand? What, what are the differences in, in, in those two spectacles, uh, uh, Dan? What do you think? So when you first asked me that question, actually, I started thinking, like, as a grandstand, we're talking about, you know, the fans, the people up in the, in the audience, right? right? So what are what are the differences and what are the, the similarities? Um, you know... I think there are some obvious similarities that you have to kind of address right away. Um, first of all, everybody loves being on a team or being a part of a team and, and kind of being, that, being in that us versus them mentality. Like, you know, it, it makes you feel like part of a group. And we're, uh, we're very um, social creatures, so we like getting in teams. Um, and you definitely see that in politics right now. Like, it's Democrats versus Republicans, it's Tories versus Whigs, or the Leave camp versus the Remain camp, or the young people versus the old. Uh, so that's that, that comes off right away. And of course, that comes with the mentality of, we want our guys to win. We want our team to be the ones that, um, that overcome the opposition. Okay, like, we see that stuff like pretty clearly. Um, but in politics, what makes it quite what I think takes it to the elevation of the ultimate grandstanding 
is that you actually have to live with the consequences of who wins and loses. You actually are a participant. Your vote matters. Uh, at the end of the day, especially right now in the United States and in, in a lot of the Western democracies, so you know, obviously like the UK and, and all across Europe counts, people are using their vote as a, a way of expressing their, um, their, their position, like how they feel, like how they as fans are, um, are, are suffering through the game. So, you know, like you said earlier, I'm a Manchester United fan. Of course, like during these like recent like Louis Van Hall period and then before that Moyes, yeah, like the fans get pissed off and they're going to start crying out and saying like, oh, let's get them out of there and put somebody else in. But in politics, uh, yeah, actually you do get to vote and you, you get to participate in, in the game. So I think it elevates the, the intensity that people have and the, the passion that they have for it because it's going to hit them in the pocketbook it's going to affect their kids it's going to affect the way that uh that that you live in the world for for a long time and and i think to that extent we're seeing something really unique at the moment uh and stop me if i uh kind of you know go off on a tangent but no no um continue so lately i've been reading a lot about um i guess like the enlightenment revolutions so like the american revolution the french revolution the haitian the bolivarians and something that I found really interesting was, in the beginning, all of these revolutions started out with an element of grandstanding. The masses were watching, you know, these white upper middle class or upper class merchants who were, you know, like throwing off the the chains of of uh, the monarchy and and going into this enlightened period of democracy. But in in the French, in the Haitian, and in the Bolivarian revolutions, at a certain point, the masses took to the pitch. Like, they absolutely abandoned the grandstand, and they went in there, and they got involved. In France, it was the sans-culottes. In, uh, in Haiti, you had, like, the, the uprising of the slaves. And in South America as well, like, there were slaves everywhere that had to be, uh, that had to be freed in order to fight. And I don't think the United States ever had that. It was a very unique experience that um, the English were not, they weren't really pillaging, and there was nobody who, who I think really felt a, a heavy level of oppression that, that joined that fight. And to see it happening now in the United States where people, like, people want to get involved, and that's how I think you see certain political figures like Donald Trump start to come up, where that is a direct reaction from the people going, you know what? We don't care what uh, a lot of the the people who, um, well, I guess for them, what they're saying is like the establishment is going to feed us anymore. We're going to feed you something different, and we're going to make a choice, even if that choice is questionable. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I I think you hit on 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 the most important difference, which is that. Uh, you're talking about you have to deal, you have to live with the consequences of your choice, of your yeah. of your grandstanding, and I think that is absolutely to me that would be the the inherent difference between the two because you know when your team loses on Sunday you can get you can drunk and 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 cry about it for a few days, but the consequences of it aren't as deep or as profound as having elected the maybe possibly arguably the wrong person. So I really sure. like that distinction, uh, Professor. Uh, I have a question to ask. Um, what is what is when when we refer to the twelfth man in sports? What is the twelfth man? What is that referring to? 
well, the, the grandstanders, the, the, the audience, the fans, who, who some would argue, um, maybe many, maybe most would argue, um, do play a crucial role in, in, the, in the performance that's going on, you know, on the field or on the pitch, on the, on the court. Um, it's basically, it's us, it's the fans. We are the, the additional, we're the additional player um, on the team. And and that twelfth man in 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 uh, in politics obviously is the voter. But do you see that reflected differently than the twelfth man in the grandstand? I mean, going off of what what uh, Dan just said, I mean, I think he I think he summed it up uh, quite beautifully. But do you see anything as far as uh, the the twelfth man in the political grandstand that is different? Um, then uh, maybe I'm asking the same question. But do you see any 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 differences as subtle as they may be? Well, I think I mean yeah. To add to to what Dan was saying, um, you know, as he said, we we are we're social creatures. We're we, it is it it, it is an innate within us. We have the tendency to, um, we to establish solidarity through you know this us versus them mentality. But I think with the sporting in the sporting grandstand, that's encouraged. Like that's the the more intense that we the more intense our um, our this our solidarity to our group, and and the more intense our our hatred for the other, um, the better the better for the spectacle as a whole. Where in politics, um, when that gets when that becomes too in, uh, intensified, it begins to destabilize the game. It begin uh, you know it, it destabilizes us as a as a group. That ultimately, I mean, because in sports we're all really working we're all part of this ecosystem that are that are working together the players on the field and then the the 12th man the grandstanders and and it's us as the grandstanders it is our duty to to have that us versus them mentality it's our duty to um to support our side and and hate the other side um in politics uh as we're seeing right now when when uh when that gets gets to a that can get to a point that it, it starts becoming a dysfunction it's it starts ruining the game rather than uh rather than improving it excellent point excellent point and and with that said maybe we've already answered this question but uh prior to to starting this this uh this episode uh dan and i were having a conversation about when people uh engage in politics they do so less less on a on a, they do it on a on a personal interest level and less and less on ideals could you expand a little bit on that did i say that did that sound correct did that sound so, uh, clear yeah so what we were talking about was that um, lately it certainly seems like like people are less interested in in what the actual effects will be of of electing certain leaders or voting for certain policies and instead, people just seem to be voting uh, by by uh, letting their political identity decide for them. So it's like, you know, I'm a you know I'm a young hip liberal, so I'm going to vote Democrat, or I'm a you know tough down to earth conservative, so I'm going to vote Republican. And and I <laughs> sometimes wonder if we're actually looking at the. Uh, like what the policies are that we're discussing and whether it even matters anymore. So, you know, especially now it's so, um, I think the contrasts are so sharp 
with with Donald Trump that when you listen to some of the policies he's talking about, you're like, are you absolutely serious? Like you you're gonna jack up tariff rates on Chinese imports by forty five percent? You know who's who's gonna feel that? Who's actually gonna feel the impact of having tariff rates go up by forty five percent on cheap, low cost imports from China? But people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, oh, we're going to stick it to the Chinese because we're, you know, we're a proud people and we want to you know, um, show them that we're, we're not going to take this laying down. Okay. I mean, that's when you the talk about the, go, When you but... talk about the people, you're talking about the middle class, correct? Yeah, not just the middle class, man. The working the lower class. class. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking around my, you know, my, my room right now and I guarantee you that the vast majority of the stuff that's in here was probably made in China, made in Mexico, made in a lot of places that, you know, apparently Donald Trump wants to, um, you know, start throwing up all these tariffs against. And I'm like, great. So the cost of my living is going to go up, not his stuff. It's my stuff. <laughs> um, but again, like it, it just doesn't seem like people uh, are necessarily interested in, um, in, in hearing that. And, you know, if we look across the ocean right now, look at what's going on with Brexit. Um, there were a That's lot of people who were voting for leave. And when you actually look at some of the what's happening right now, you're like, you just you totally went against your interests. The only reason that you voted that way is because you have this like proud notion of the the independent Victorian empire. And okay, I mean. Let's see what happens. I, I, want, I want to talk about that. Uh, I want to expand on that in a little bit. Uh, Professor, anything you want to add uh, with regard to this before we move on to the next uh, topic? Yeah, and, and I think and this will lead into, um, in, into uh, Brexit as well. The, the similarity within, within the sporting grandstand, the political grandstanding, is I think people in, bo- in both um, uh come to their identities more emotionally than, than rationally. Um, and, and, and again, in, in sports, that's a good thing. Um, in politics, it could become an issue because um, rather than taking a step back and going, well, let's, let's, like, we have no choice but to, we have to cooperate together. Like that's, we, we are part yeah. of this, this, this thing together and we have to figure out, we have to, we have to have compromises and we have to figure out how we can, how we can uh, operate, you know, harmoniously. Um, you have to think rationally for that, and and more often than not, I think we as people we 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 vote emotionally if we vote at all. Um, yep. And 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 that's and 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 the political elites know that uh, the the same way that the corporate elites in sports know that that we that we root emotionally and they you know and they sell us shit based on that. Um, the political elites, they, they know that we are, that's why, you know, Donald Trump has, has been brilliant and and so is Hillary, um, at working at at playing to our emotions. And so is Bernie too. I mean, you know, it's, it's like people, people divide themselves on, you know, if, if you don't support this, then you are a morally bad person. If you're not compassionate about other people or, or, um, or if, or if you're not, or if you're willing to kill a baby, uh, you know whatever it is. Um, if you're willing to let you know two people of the same sex, you know, fuck each other, uh, mm-hmm. you're a morally bad person. So you know, it, 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 we 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 turn this into a, a game of morality, 
which is very much I'm of the opinion, and and not that I'm making this up, but you know, um, uh, there's a so, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt who talks a lot about this, um, and and through experiments shows that we come to our moral conclusions through an emotional basis more so than than anything else and then we try if people slap down our argument so if people go hey but that's you know that's um you're morally against this but what about you know but but what about this make a very logical point to it we will to stick to our gut react our our, our gut reaction to whatever moral issue instead of listening to it we will try to swim for some type of explanation to you know to still justify our, our stance. Mm. Um, one of the big, I think the problem that you've addressed is a, is a tremendous one that also gets heightened, particularly in the United States, because it's a bi, it's a bipartisan system. You only have two options at the, at the highest levels. So your, your ability to be rational is limited by these gut reactions you get to very select few issues. So, you know, um, I think on a lot of things, my mom would absolutely be a Democrat, but, oh, you talk about abortion and she has to jump to the right. Like she just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, uh, I think, you know, maybe like, you know, I'm starting to get to the age where I could consider, a, a you know, certain conservative, uh, or certainly I'm fiscally conservative. I would hope that by now I would at least have seen a Republican candidate that I would be willing to consider. But when you start talking about, you know, gay rights or um, gun control, even I have such a gut reaction. I'm like, I got to stay in the blue camp. Yeah. What can I do? Yeah. Um, It's 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 moral and incredibly compartmentalized. Yeah. And it it makes it it makes for it it makes it incredibly difficult uh, to understand the distinctions between uh, the puppet on the left or the puppet on the right. If. If if all of a sudden it's it's so convoluted yeah. and like you're saying you know it's it's hard to make a choice I guess um, I mean you do know, we need it Go ahead I, I feel for the Republicans right now you know especially here in Washington I get to spend a lot of time with some incredibly bright incredibly um, progressive Republicans um, who who have good arguments and and they're incredibly frustrated by you know some of these um, you know very uh, touchy issues. They they end up um, sort of like tainting the entire the entire team. Yeah, and talk so about from, a talk about a team that was hijacked uh, <laughs> by the grandstand. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and oof, uh, I feel for them. I want I don't know what the team's going to look like after this, um, and I, I also don't know what the what the Democratic team is going to look like. But hey, maybe having some more teams in the in the league wouldn't be such a bad idea. Right. Just yeah. saying. Hundreds of millions of arguments for and against the the two, three, or four party system and why it's been that way in America. Um, yeah, I was thinking maybe the Republicans need to do like the Padres and look at this as a rebuilding season and um, just kind of wait till next year, you know, and just say, oh, we're going to lose this one uh, instead of. But I don't know. Well, uh, I think a lot of them are, are a lot of them have come to that conclusion already, and they they came to that conclusion when. Uh, honestly, when, when you started getting, um, like it's up to Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio or (laughs) Donald Trump at that point, they were already throwing their hands up just being like, look, you know what, for once, uh, at least the Democrats kind of hawkish, um, at least she's kind of, um, you know, she plays our style of ball. It's a style of ball that we recognize that we're familiar with. Um, 
okay, like at least it's still the same sport. I think a lot of them right now are starting <laughs> to ask themselves, like, are we even still in the same sport? Um, right. Hollywood has finally overtaken Washington, D.C. Right. I agree. Uh, Professor, anything you want to add before I move on? Um, yeah, I th- I th- that's a great great comparison, great analogy with uh, with the Padres, and I think the, what the Republican team is doing right now, at the end, even though they, I think they have come to, a lot of uh, players on the team have come to the realization that this is a rebuilding time now. Um, but nevertheless, they're still they they still always think. But but let's try to be a spoiler for the Dodgers as often as we can. Right, <laughs> that's ex- that's exactly it. <laughs> when you look at it that way, Ouch. it seems so sinister, though. You know what? Right. It, it it makes me not not um to dislike them so much. So can one of you just uh, very briefly um uh, explain Brexit really quickly? Uh, sure. Um, so Brexit is why why has it divided so many people? And and is it and is this and is this is this really the doings of the neoliberal uh, 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 economic policy? Oh, um, okay. Well, here let me let me parcel it out a little bit. Um, so Brexit is the the United Kingdom was part of the European currently still a part of the European Union, part of the European uh, market, uh, totally integrated, minus some immigration stuff already. Like they already have certain limitations on their uh, their flow of people. Um, the English people, however, have decided that, um, or the, the United Kingdom, the British people, have decided that they do not want to be a part of that union anymore, that they want to um, be able to uh, basically cast off all of the European Union uh, impositions, um, be able to come up with all their own rules, all their own laws, and make all their own decisions, in particular about immigration. Um, and they want to re- redo all the, the treaties. So they have voted to leave. However, they haven't actually left yet. Um, there's something called Article 50, which I'm sure lots of people have heard about, that has to be invoked. Once it's invoked, um, the, the European Union and the UK will go into two years of negotiations to come to, to agreements. Um, during that time, the UK is not actually able to make agreements with, any, with anybody else. Um, so, because they're still a part of the European Union, um, so there's there, there's a lot of tension there at the moment um, because a lot of people are saying we didn't actually want to leave. Like only these people wanted to leave, uh, and then worse, the people who were campaigning to leave have all started leaving office. Um, it's like as soon as the Brexit came through, like you saw all these. Um, like just so much of the British leadership has been um, resigning, including um, Boris Johnson, and then uh, Nigel Farage left as well. You know, the guy who went and laughed in the face of the European Union. He was like, <laughs> or you know, did you see that when he went yeah. and stood at the European yeah. Union? He's like, you know, I came here 16 years ago, and you laughed in my face. Well, you're not laughing now. And then he resigned. Ugh. Yeah. So um, the professor. And Dan and I have uh, at separate times with individually with the professor with Dan I've had this conversation uh, and I've said plenty and I, maybe I've said it already here or that I know I've said it already here that I am a big fan of international uh, competition international gameplay between between nations like uh, the World Cup the Olympics anything where um, where two countries play against each other and they get to show their uh, nationalistic uh, uh, grit and qualities as to, anyways, um, 
and of course, I feel it especially in soccer, uh, uh, that that passion for the international nation versus nation competition. But I feel like um, the, the the idea of international play, and I'm going to talk specifically about soccer here, uh, is is losing is losing momentum. And even though we we can't see it now because the World Cup still is the biggest sporting event uh, on the face of the planet. It, it, I feel like it's reached its its crescendo, so to speak. So, it, I think it mirrors something that's ha- some, a bigger thing that's occurring on the global on the global scale on the on, on the international level, and that is that uh, if if you if you follow soccer, if you follow football, international soccer, you know that every summer there is some kind of uh, international tournament between nations. This year we had uh, Copa America, which was uh, the teams in the Americas playing to find a champion. And then in Europe, of course, the UEFA, the Euro Cup. Uh, two very big events, two very, very, very uh, watched and followed uh, events. But, but um, every summer, inevitably, before the competition start, you get athletes that we're all we're hoping to see play on their teams drop out for injury, for personal reasons, for whatever whatever the reasons may be, and and you know I don't I don't I don't I don't think that they they they're dropping out like pretend dropping out, but I do believe sometimes that there is there, there are I mean these guys these guys have one break well they have two breaks one in the winter like around Christmas time and then they have the summer break and then they're asked to go play uh, a competition at a very intense level uh, and basically prolonging their season by an extra month. And really leaving them no time to rest. So I could see why some of them would say, you know what, my ankle hurts, I can't play this year. Or I'm not going to make it because I have uh, to do this or do this. Anyway, so I'm going on a tangent here. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is, and this even happens with, uh, with the NBA. The, you know, the, who is it that Steph, Steph Curry or LeBron James isn't going to play on the U.S. Uh, basketball team? So these guys drop out. And for, for, for people like myself that... To me, that's the ultimate spectacle, the the international gameplay between nations. And when superstars drop out because, one, a lot of them have obligations to their clubs. They're making millions of dollars in their clubs, and they don't want to leave their clubs and get hurt during an international competition and, and potentially lose out on on money that is uh, owed to them because of, 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 of the contracts they have with their clubs. Um, it seems like these allegiances slowly from a player perspective, are moving towards their club teams, uh, the teams that they play uh, during the regular season. So Leo Messi plays for Barcelona uh, for a club team, and then he plays in the summers. Uh, he plays international competitions with the Argentine, with the uh, the national team of Argentina, which he supposedly quit now because he couldn't handle the pressure of, of being the, the sole player uh, uh, the the main the star the, the the main character of that of that system but anyways i feel like this mirrors or reflects something that's coming down the line and that is that this old international system of the nation state is disintegrating and becoming this these ideas of becoming more local as evidenced by something like brexit uh um of uh, these secession movements throughout the world, like I think you know, Scotland tried to. They had a reference to see if they if they were going to leave the UK, and they decided no. Um, is this is this localist fervor brought out? Is 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 there some xenophobia there, or is there an effort to to 
evade, avoid the eventual surrender to the global corporate state of megacities. And the club soccer is, is like a microcosm that, of that eventual scenario. Um, to me, everything seems to me, to me, everything is headed towards the disbandment of, of, uh, of the nation state. And, and new geopolitical lines will be drawn around a more regionalistic idea. And, and, and uh, under the auspices of the corporate charter versus maybe the, the, uh, the more traditional constitutional international state sovereignty uh, thing. So uh, will this, is, there, is this really just me just saying some bullshit that isn't even plausible? Um, and is are we seeing that already with uh, the international game slowly giving way to to the to more of the emphasis on following club sports versus getting really excited about following your international team? Oh man, I f- it really feels like we're back in the like we're back in the pickup truck driving across America. <laughs> um, so I. I'm gonna have to disagree, man. And good. And, and this is part of the reason good. why I feel like we're back in the truck because we do have these amazing conversations. Um, I don't. I don't think so at all. Um, on on both counts. So first, the wait. Can the, I can I add one more thing? Is sure. is a nation state here to stay then, with a few ro- uh, rogue regions like uh, passing uh, secession referendums every few right. years? So that's I all. Think, that, that's all it's gonna be. I think you're talking more about like the international. Uh, framework and like the international allegiances more so than like the nation state like the nation state is definitely here to stay in terms of like this is our country and we do whatever we want within our borders um the question i think that a lot of people are trying to address at the moment the balance is how much of the nation state sovereignty do we give up for these international bodies these like or these supranational bodies um, such as like the European Union, um, according to Sarah Palin of the United Nations, um, you know, how much of your legislative power do you want to give up to those um, to those bodies? Now, there's definitely a, a recalibration Wait, going on. but not not to the corporation though. Where does the corporation fit in? So, corporations have always fit in in the sense that they drive the money, like. The, the governments are always going to listen to the private sector because the private sector is what's generating revenue. Um, there are certain companies that, and certain sectors, absolutely, that have gained significant influence vis-a-vis lobbying power. We know that. They have the ear of the congressmen. They have the ear of the parliamentarians. They're definitely able to, to influence. Um, but that being said, Corporations are still very much aware that they need structure. Corporations want predictability. They want to know what what's going to happen, you know, two years down the line, five years down the line, ten years down the line, sometimes hundreds of years down or a hundred years down the line. Um, but they so they, they need know that, that nation state symbiosis. Yeah, so they, yeah, they're, they're they're still aware that like there has to be some somebody somebody outside of the corporation who's sort of like managing things so they can get on with the business of making money. Um, you know, I, I happen to work in one sector that's it's quite unique in the sense that you often see industry say, uh, we actually need some regulation. We need somebody to say, like, what frequencies can people operate at? Um, which, you know, who's going to get what bandwidth? Like, what orbits are satellites going to be in? Who's going to launch at what hour? And if everyone's just doing whatever they want, um, it yeah, it turns into a giant mess. 
Um, that being said, and back to your original question, uh, I, I don't think we're losing it. Um, to, to keep going with the political sense, you know, let's look at Brexit. What's happening in England right now? Um, their economy took such a shock because of the uncertainty that Brexit has created that basically all the benefits they were hoping to get have been wiped off the board. I, I mean, the economic benefits, at least. Um, they're, the young people are suddenly waking up and realizing, oh, shit, we didn't go vote. Um, but we absolutely don't want to have to live with the impact of Brexit for so many years because I think the young people do tend to feel um, very much a part of the European Union. Um, I, why does Scotland want to get out of the UK right now? They want to get out because they want to go back to the European Union. They want to be part of that larger, um, that larger body. And frankly, if Spain doesn't you know, stick their noses in it again, um, I think Scotland definitely will vote for a referendum and, and leave and apply to join the European Union. Um, now, admittedly, um, the big problem with Brexit that, that people were really trying to address is immigration. It's not so much about the money. They, they want to be able to regulate who's coming in and, and who is taking advantage of their social services. Um, if you look at a lot of the campaigns that those guys were leading, it, you know, they had these huge posters that would show like, you know, all these like immigrants showing up in line at a, you know, at a hospital or something and like, look at where all your benefits are going. Um, they're terrified that they're going to have to take in all these Syrians. They're, I mean, be, to be perfectly frank, they have this conversation all the time about, what is it, the, the Polish plumber um, who, you know, you have a lot of Eastern uh, immigrants who do um, some of the like manual labor. But this is a function of um, everyone realizing what their, uh, their comparative advantage is. Like, what do the different countries do well that they need to be able to provide in terms of services or goods or whatever? And look, United States, England, get, you, you've pushed education and services for so long. It's pretty apparent now that the future jobs are not going to be your factory wage jobs. They're not going to be your, um, you know, like very repetitive jobs. It's going to be in services. It's going to be through jobs that... Um, require like consultations or jobs that require coding, um, you know. And this is this is where it's going. And because because the UK do, has opened up its borders to the wider EU, like they're they're feeling it. Um, and let's face it, like the UK um, and certainly some of the older generations have collectively, not individually, but you know, they've they've been known for for enjoying their. Um, their ability to reminisce about the good old days. So um, fortunately, it seems like their youth is very, um, very open to globalization in general. Um, so I don't, I don't see that um, stopping at all. And then, of course, also on the football side, man, the Copa America and the Euro Cup, I think, have totally proven that, you know, it's still the international competitions is where it's at, and money cannot buy you glory there. What's up, England? <laughs> Couldn't there be an argument for? Couldn't there be an argument for um, the? And I think maybe this speaks to a bigger question, but couldn't there be an argument for um, that the, the the federations that have the money uh, can 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 influence? Uh, so, so 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 the uh, nationalizing of players from other countries. Like if you look at the French team, half their team has origins in Africa. Uh, couldn't you argue that that in a way money does play a, a role in that? 
and that uh, the, or the the federations with with more money will ultimately be able to, in a way, in a really subtle way, they're 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 getting players from other countries and 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 buying their way into a, a title. Uh, absolutely not. No way. Like, look at England. <laughs> I mean, That's the, true. The, the 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 FA, the the Football Association, is the perfect example. They've got so much money pumped into the team, but they don't. You can't buy that unity that Iceland has, that Welsh had, that, you know, to be perfectly honest, the French are playing with amazing unity. Um, the way Spain used to play, the way Germany used to play, you know, yes, okay, those guys definitely pump money into it, but deep down, um, they're, they're, they had to develop their youth. Um, right. The teams that have dominated in the last, what, 12 years? Uh, they were built based on, uh, I hate to say it, but they were Pep Guardiola teams. Right. Like, Bayern Munich, that was the bulk of the teams that played on, uh, that played for Germany. Yeah, for sure. Barcelona made the bulk of the the Spain team that uh, that won the, so many titles. You know, from that angle, sure, the, the clubs are going to have an influence. But at the end of the day, there's something intangible that goes into national football it's something you cannot buy i'm not totally convinced that france is going to win tomorrow portugal might pull it out just because they want it and they're desperate ronaldo is desperate to win he knows all the money he's got all the titles all the accolades don't mean shit unless it doesn't mean shit when he goes home to his parents and you know that like you know it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter like how glorious you are. When you walk back into your kitchen at your mom's house, you know, Rafa's still going to give you a hard time. Like your sisters are still going to give you a hard time. And they're always going to be like, well, there's that one thing, Ronaldo. You never brought home the trophy for your people. <laughs> like it's pure. It's pure glory. Good. I'm happy to hear that because uh, I, even though like I, I you know, there's – there's no way of, of making that argument now because international competition is still the World Cup will continue to be the biggest sporting event in the world for many years to come. Yeah. But uh, oh, but I I, I feel like it's gaining traction. Um, I think it is too, especially in the in in in, in the uh, what do we call it? Develop? Do we call them developing nations anymore, or what do we call it? Um, wait, yeah, but, pro- professor, emerging, emerging. professor, <laughs> chime in yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, well, because what you're saying with. You know, you cannot buy, you know, the, the, the glory that comes with, with nationalism, really. This, this bond that you have with people based on this, this national identity. Which um, you have argued in, in the cases like of Mexico, it, it goes beyond yeah, nation. It's yeah. cult- you said it's culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, Great it, episode, by the way. I love that one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes. And, and, but I think it's, 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 it's cultural. I think that's unique to certain, uh, to certain places. Right. But, um, th- I mean, to, to, to the point of the, of the, the, the rise of the club team, you can argue that there is even a deeper sense of, 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 of emotional pride, um, comes out of your local identity, um, reaching glory. So out of your club team winning the, the whether the Premier League or whatever it may be, mm. I mean, um, you know, what is it that really? And and I think this depends on people and 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 what they identify with more strongly. Do you identify more with your national identity or with your um, or with your regional identity or your or your local, you know, your city identity? Um, 
and and in that sense i think that's what that's part of what what makes um on on the on the on the sporting grandstand what what fuels club competition is that the fan base the grandstanders um they're rooting for this much more local pride and that's so much easier to establish in in groups of people um establishing national pride i think is is harder um just you know it's it's larger the more people you bring in and especially the more diversity you bring in the the more effort it takes to like how do we get people to you know have a, a sense of solidarity with each other uh n- national play does a great job of doing that but i think there's something to to what what mario's saying with players are are putting more more their their more value in their club play um, one because that's where the money's at first first and foremost says right, right. and so and club teams are able to pool but then bringing it back to the the global level what club teams can do is they can pool talent from they they're not binded by their local uh by their local community right. so um so on the one hand you have the grandstanders the power that comes from is, is the grandstanders are are rooting for local pride but then on the field you're able to bring in talent from beyond the, you know, you, you can pull talent from throughout the world. So br- bring in the Barcelona. Let's just bring in the most talented players throughout the world, put them together. Um, and then I guess, you know, to, to Dan's point, the, the key there is is uh, grooming them young and, and kind of gelling them together from a young age. So I don't know. Which, I feel Barcelona, like I, which Barcelona does. Barcelona right. has, you know, the Masia and they, you know, they, they bring players from a, like from the age of 10, 8. You know, to basically like to their their Barcelona soccer boarding school, and in a way, those kids ultimately like Messi is way more Catalan than he is from Argentina. You know, thank and you. He spent his whole life there, right? I, um, I, actually, I, and I do did want to make this point if I if I can say um, the fact that Messi retired is actually a sign to me of his non-Argentine. Yeah. Um, I've actually spent a lot of, I got to spend a lot of time down in Buenos Aires, and one of the things that the, um, uh, I got to be quite good friends with the, he was the chief medic office, uh, med- medical officer for Boca, and uh, he would always tell me, he's like, look, biggest difference between Argentine players and Mexican players is that for a Mexican player, his first match has to be really low-key. You can't put any pressure on him because if he gets nervous or if he gets too much pressure, he's gonna like choke. But Argentine players, the first match, it has to be big. He has to feel that it's big enough for his ego, right? Um, and so the a lot when you see a lot of the Argentine players, there's always this like, you know, sort of this ability to to like always want to be on like the biggest stage. Whereas Messi, even when you watch him play, like. There's something about him that doesn't gel with the national team. It's because he's not Argentine. He's right. Spanish. He's, or he's Catalan, like you said. And he he's had an in... opportunity to play with the Spanish. Wait, why did the Argentino go to the moon? Why? To see what oh. the world looked like without him. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Terrible jokes. Uh, and, of course, like we love the Argentines. Of course um, we do. But They're beautiful people. Yeah. Man, it's just – I don't understand how they how they didn't get it. I mean, that's twice in the last two years they've made it to a major final. Well, well let, let's let, let's go on. Let's go. So let's let's bring it back. Okay. So yeah. Messi. Right, right, a, going no, on. no, 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 no. That's fine. Messi uh, 
Messi left. Um, let's let's use Messi as a as a as a vehicle for this argument. Um, Messi was born in Argentina, and the, as the as the myth goes, as the legend goes, he was a sickly child who was really good at soccer. And at the age I think of twelve, uh, his his parents made a choice to go to basically Barcelona. Saw him, and they said, "Get that kid. Let's take him to the Masia to the soccer school." And we'll take care of all the medical expenditures for yeah. he, he had he had some kind of he had some well he had he had a he he, he couldn't grow he had like issues with uh, with his growth he's he, Messi is a very short player but anyways they took him they groomed him this this guy turned out to be the real deal the guy Barcelona thought he would become and essentially Messi grew up in Catalonia in in, in Barcelona um, so one. He also and so so then the other thing is he he had an opportunity to play for the Spanish team, but in so the end like he opted citizenship? yeah to, to 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 basically play as a Spaniard like on the national team. So he would have played on that on that span on that Spanish national team that uh, the Tikitaka Spanish team that was essentially the Barcelona team. Yeah. He would have been a world champion by now. And speak going to what what Dan is saying because he's not an Argentino. I think maybe he would have fit in. I mean, it's very obvious that he fits in in that system much better than he does in the uh, the Argentine system. But Messi also is part of a region that has 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 hopes or dreams or or maybe mm. even if they're just conceptual of of seceding of leaving Spain. So not only is he Span- could have been Spanish. He was born in a, he was raised in Spain. But not only he was specifically in a in a in a specific region that that has. A, incredible fervor about their regionalistic yeah. identity the catalans so that's a that's a that's a state or a region in the world that has been for a long time talking about how they want to separate um just Dude, uh, go just ahead to, Dan. to that go um, ahead. um really fascinating story about how football actually um can sometimes impact politics uh, right after Spain won the World Cup, uh, I went to go visit a friend of mine in um, Alicante, which is like proper Catalonia. And when I got there, uh, we're hanging out and like we went and met up with some of his buddies. And I remember one guy showed up and he was wearing this like polo shirt of like the red and yellow colors and it had the crest on it. And we'd be driving around and there were flags everywhere. And I was like, man, you guys definitely celebrating the victory. And I mean, my buddy seemed like just so ecstatic and, and on the verge of tears all the time and he just turned around and looked at me and he said man you don't get it this is catalonia when do, would you ever see the red and yellow flag fly here and i was right. like he's right he's absolutely right and for at least like a year um and he i remember him telling me about it. he was like it actually felt like the country was unified and it was unified by the spanish team um it was, it was incredible really incredible yeah that's fascinating so it's it's uh, really complicated. It's uh, especially I guess the Barcelona thing is unique uh, because it it is part of a of a unique place in the world. Um, but you could make that argument for other things. And and I think I think uh, ultimately I guess what we're all trying to say one way or another is that we all love international competition. And there is this for me. I think that there's this. There's ever a uh, glooming presence of uh, the, the the corporation taking over the state, and and this is of course me just talking about conspiracy here, and that it's it's evident, and it's 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 it becomes obvious when uh, 
when club becomes more important than uh, country, even though I agree with Dan, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But I think we're seeing the beginnings of it. Uh, I have a question for Mr. One-Time Tex. Uh, should, I, should I tell people why you're called One-Time Tex? Sure. Uh, uh, after Dan uh, met uh, the gang, the, the, uh, the, the original grandstanders, um, before we knew we were grandstanders, uh, he would always start his story with one time in Texas because he had just moved from Texas to California. And he'd be like, dude, guys, one time in Texas. And, and I just said, you know what, man? Your name is going to be from now on one time because every story that he ever told would start with one time. And then because he is from Texas, he said, well, oh, geez, I was hoping I'd be Tex. You know, I'm like, well, you can't give yourself your own damn nickname, but now that you bring it up, it, it kind of has a nice ring to it. So one-time Tex is uh, what he became. Uh, but one-time Tex, what team or athlete does Donald Trump most closely resemble? Uh, so, yeah, you asked me this earlier, and the, the, first, the first thing that came to mind um, is actually – uh, I think Donald Trump is the Raiders because of the fans. <laughs> I lived in San Diego, so I was exposed to Hater Nation or Raider Nation quite a lot. So that's why I uh, I say Donald Trump is the Raiders. I think I I, I think even beyond California, right, I mean the Raiders are kind of like they are the they're the bad boys, you know they they are, um, you know when I when I think of Trump, I, he he is the ultimate heel. He's so good at being a heel, and and he, yeah. and he has. And his fan base, uh, just they they, revel, they they love the fact that they are they they, they see themselves as as the um, as 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 the heels of the country, but but the ones who get it. Um, I think the Raiders are the same. I think I think Raider fans love the fact that they know that they they that is how they're seen by 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 the rest of us, especially in California. Um, so you know, I, I think you 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 are spot on. Trump Trump is totally the Raiders. Um, which kind yeah. of yeah yeah. What team does Hillary Clinton most closely resemble? Yeah, man. And again, like my first re- reaction to that was Hillary Clinton's totally like the New England Patriots. She's probably gonna win, but she has to cheat just to make sure. <laughs> like, like, how does she get herself into some of these problems? I'm like. It's just overcompensating. <laughs> quit inflating. Quit deflating the balls. Quit sending out emails. Damn. And not only that, and and the Patriots are—they're not very likable either. Yeah, like the only people who really <laughs> like the Patriots are people who love football. Like get down in the nitty gritty details, and like you really start looking at Bill Belichick's strategies. They love that stuff. So for people like me who oh, I want to like read all about, you know, Hillary Clinton's policies on, you know, what is she going to do with Syria in terms of North Korea and like nuclear weapons and here and like how is she going to address, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> I I you know what? I, that's 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 I really am fascinated by Hillary's uh like uh, what she's going to do on the international level and then just her hawkishness I think uh really I'm really fascinated to how that whole thing will unravel. One thing I'm I'm not looking forward to is um, so yes uh, was it yesterday I think yesterday the day before Obama uh, addressed the um, uh, the the recent the shooting yeah. um, and and as I'm watching him 
it was just a reminder and it was one of those i had one of those moments of like man that's too bad where he's going to be gone soon simply just not not based on what he's saying he is such a great speaker yeah he is so good um and it's so natural and he's so fearless in his um i i i'm curious to see if if hillary you know because then again he is in year 8 at this point of of you know having done this and but even, but even early on um hillary's so the opposite of that she's she looks so unnatural when when speaking and um regardless of politics and 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 and, and views and strategies i'm just going to miss having a uh, someone who represents us who looks so good up there. Yeah. Um, she she just doesn't look quite as... So as then who would Obama be? Oh. oh. Man. So, it's, yeah, it's got to be a team who looks really... Who always looks really good, but doesn't... Doesn't always produce. What, like the Saints? <laughs> um, Argentina. The Argentina yeah. national team. I, I actually specifically stayed away from uh, assigning national teams because I... I don't want to stick anybody with Donald Trump. Um, uh, however, I, I will offer Manny some uh, solace. There is a rumor. Um, you know, Barack Obama is staying, in, uh, is staying here in Washington, D.C., and there's a rumor uh, flying around that um, he might get appointed to the Supreme Court. No way. No yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, it's just a rumor. Um, it hasn't been done since Taft, but um, it has been bandied about. Wow, uh, and I, and also to your point, I I actually think the ultimate leader, president, person would be like Hillary Clinton calling the shots, and then Barack Obama delivering the news. Like that would be ideal. Did you see his Selma speech? Like, you know, that's like his Gettysburg Address or his, uh, you know, his miracle speech. Like, yeah, really inspiring. I've I've always said that he I think Obama I mean and we'll see how you know what 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 the future holds but but I've always thought that he will do a lot more good after he's president. Yeah. I can see that. He uh, he wasn't a very strong executive. But, but but maybe I'm just I I I'll I fully I am a, an Obama mark 100%. No, I've I've definitely supported him and I had I broke the first rule of all political scientists, which is never be in favor of the person who's in power because, like, as a political scientist, you're supposed to be critical of everything they do. Um, but he... For all the leaders we've had in a, a good long while, he at least invoked a certain sense of pride, I think. And and I think Barack Obama touches on something that a lot of managers... Uh, and, and there's a big discussion going on right now, of course, like after Roy Hodgson left England. But, like, how do you get your players to play at their best, to like really get in there? And there's just something about the way Barack Obama addresses people that kind of makes me want to be the best version of myself. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, France, Pope Francis has that as well. I've seen him speak yeah, a few times. He's got, a, you, he's, he's, got a, he's got a big ass team, too. Yeah, he does. Uh, and growing um, fast. <laughs> yes. uh, they really figured it out. So I want to mention a story going off of the Barack Obama thing. One time uh, driving through Tennessee, a one-time text said that it had to be Obama before Hillary because he was going to he was going to bring some uh, some pause to the uh, to the to the chaos that we were we were experiencing at the time. And uh, so I I. 
I would I want to liken Obama to a national team player on the Mexican national team who would always get he would they would always bring to bring pause to the game and that's Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Oh, and every time that. he came oh. on, oh man, <laughs> he would come right. and he would bring pause to the Mexican. For good or for worse, the team would calm down. The team would mellow out. I and hated that guy. I, 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 well, however, which way you feel about him, it's. Well, I'm not. I'm not comparing uh, Obama's uh, personal qualities to Guatemoc's personal qualities. <laughs> he is the mayor of Cuernavaca now, by the way. He's about uh, politics and sports, baby. Uh, but this is this is this. So this man that we're talking to today, uh, one time Tex was very perceptive in in understanding what the role, what president America needed at that time. And, and clearly Obama, um, he, he fulfilled his, uh, his, the, the prognostication that uh, Dan, Dan one-time text made. So, Baltimore Blanco, Barack Obama, bringing pause to the team. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's important to always have that kind of player. Um, again, as a United fan, I think Ryan Giggs was like that for the last couple of years of his um, actual career, right. where like, here comes this 40-year-old Welsh guy, um, and, you know, okay, what kind of a physical threat is he? Well, he's not a physical threat. He, he was both a, a mental and an emotional uh, stabilizer for the, for the team. And when he would come on, I think especially the younger players would be like, all right, Giggsy's on. He'll, he'll figure out how, to, how we're going to win. Like, just do whatever he tells us, and, and we'll be fine. Um, that being said, like, when you look at Barack Obama's career, I know a lot of people are quite critical, but in the grand scheme of things, how how bad are things in the United States? Like they are definitely rough, and they are particularly rough by U.S. standards at the moment. That business in you know first in uh, Baton Rouge and then St. Paul and then Dallas, like in quick succession, you know the Orlando shootings, the joblessness, the you know hopelessness. Look, there are times in history when things in countries just get rough. Um, but I don't think they're that bad at the moment. Like if you compare it to, to other great, um, you know, historic narratives, I think you could talk about the moment right before the French revolution, like really got off to a terrible, you know, like before the, you know, maybe right around the point where the national assembly was finally formed, or if this was like the Roman period, you'd be looking at like right before the social wars when there were all these different Italian villages who were demanding more rights in the Roman Senate and the senators were like, no way, we're not going to give them to you. Were things really that bad? No. But at the same time, you um, people get frustrated and they, they get very angry and sometimes they do something um, rash. So I think Barack Obama was a good stabilizer. He kind of just kept things easing along. And maybe Hillary Clinton will be a little, like, eight more years of this. But is that really so terrible? Do we really want to start, like, cutting Wall Street bankers' heads off in the middle of New York? Like, I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> maybe it's my old age speaking now, but I, I'm not for radical change anymore. I think, especially with radical changes in, in these days, the only people who really suffer from it are the poor, man. People without money, like, without the, the resources to adapt. So, and those are the people that are used by the peop the extreme I, people on the right and the Donald left, Trump, right, exactly. and, and the left as well to mm -hmm. galvanize yeah, 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 support right. for their movements. Is to say, 
you know, we need to just, you know, start a socialist movement or a, a Marxist movement, whatever you want to call it. And then those are the people that are always end up being not only most affected by, but the ones that end up being demonized by the pundits afterwards. You know, yeah. these, these, these dumb fools, you know, they, they elected Brexit or these dumb fools in Venezuela. Look what they did to their country. You know, it's it's okay. uh, who's who is the horse in Animal Farm? What was the horse's name? Like, but uh, yeah, him. Work harder. Yeah. Work That's harder. what the horse used to say. Work harder. Um, more, more load. What else yeah. is there to say? Uh, I find it such ahead. a shame that the one thing that might actually like really take the United States into the next, you know, into like the world of tomorrow is the, like one of the topics that you never hear people talking about right now, and that's education. You know, Barack Obama made a great point. We got to start educating people for the jobs of tomorrow. You know, more and more we're seeing that like, you know, entrepreneurs are telling kids don't go to college. If you go to college, you're just going to end up being an indentured servant. You might as well just like go get a huge loan and start your own business. Um, you see more and more kids that like don't want to go to university. They want to like do different things. Um, okay, but people have to be ready for what comes next. And and what comes next is not factory jobs. Like machines will do that. We're going to need people who uh, who program the machines. And I don't see anybody having this discussion right now, like between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So. You know, what a shame. Professor? Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, but see, but in, in that, when it comes to that, um, even if they did have that discussion, I think it would go nowhere because um, if there is any area that, that I would support radical change and, I'm, and I support rocking the boat and I would support uh, destroying and dismantling a, an institution and rebuilding it, Despite the despite the fact that it's it, it, it the transition period the, the rebuilding stage is going to be nasty, mm. um, but for the in the long term I think it's the education system I think it, it we are there's a reason why reformer after reformer after reform movement keeps happening and and no change really happens um, because we're still working within this framework of what education is supposed to be and until I think until we completely shatter that. Um, it's going to continue to be the same old story of well-off kids do fine, and the poor and the poor kids are fucked. We we just had like a hundred times more of a conversation than I've heard during this entire campaign about education. Um, <laughs> <Right>. So, <laughs> like, what what does that say about the state of of politics right now? Um, yeah. Um, and, and so, what's I guess... more cor- what's more corrupt? Uh, uh... Policy on education or uh, FIFA? <laughs> yeah, woof, woof. That's rough, man. Um, yeah, FIFA. Yeah. It, FIFA has a lot more money. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Um, Sepp Blatter. Oh, uh, I'm not even going to touch that one. Sorry. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Although we did have a grandstander on who, who 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 still thinks that we need to wait to see what the verdict is on Seth Blatter, and I'm and I'm thinking, I'm talking about Damiano. I think Damiano is is probably on his like, uh, he's on, on his legal, on, on the legal team. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I've known some people that have like waited on Seth Blatter and just kind of like been around him um, around Switzerland, and they they always do say that. He is always surrounded by the strangest looking people, and like they just look so suspicious all the time. Like, maybe it's just, yeah, I, I don't know who, but 
the Illuminati. I guess. <laughs> I always imagine like people with hoods. They're like, no, nah, like you're just. We'd be serving them at the table and like Seth Blatter's like in a really nice suit and this and that. And then you know he'd be sitting with somebody. We're like, is that a dude from the Russian mafia or something? <laughs> I do, I do, I do want to send out a message to Messi because I know he's listening. Um, had he, had he uh, brought Damiano onto his uh, legal team, he would not be, he would not have been found uh, guilty of, <laughs> of tax fraud. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Booyah! That's it, folks. Thank you for joining us. One time text. Thank you for joining us. Will you come back and talk uh, and talk uh, more, more? grandstanding in the in the political grandstand yeah absolutely man um and it also like if you want to talk about the mexican team i'm always up for it okay so we'll keep you we'll we'll keep you on the we'll keep you on the on the panel list for um the mexico uh, conversations and then also uh we'd like to invite you uh formally invite you to become one of our ushers if you'll accept ushers yeah you, you know the ushers the ushers in uh, in the grandstand Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Professor, anything you want to add before we sign off? Uh, thank you, Dan. Awesome, awesome conversation. Um, and you guys have a good, a nice day. Yes. Uh, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go take a, a walk around in the farm and, 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 and then be here for like, be out here for 10 minutes and then come back inside because it's hot as fuck. That All right. Good. It's pretty hot here too. I'm going to go play Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, is Pokemon Go a sport or not? That's it. We're out. We're done. See ya. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept that that's to be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a change